Now we're going to be continuing our studies in Matthew 24, Matthew in chapter 24. Um, but as you're looking for that, I'm just going to read one verse from First Peter. This is found in First Peter chapter 3. Um, I'm reading from verse 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honour Christ, the Lord is holy. Always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. And it's really that, that part there, always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. And you know, for me, reading that, I'm really quite challenged because while, while Peter sees it as just a given that the Christians who he's writing to will be asked about the hope they have. You know, what he's saying there is, you know, people are going to ask you, what's, what's different about you? Why, why, do you, why do you have this, this joy all the time? Why are, you, why are you so hopeful that even if you die, then that's okay? Peter's just expecting that, that the Christians who he's writing to will, so, will show this hope so much that everyone will notice it. And the reason I'm challenged by that is because, well, well, when was the last time someone asked me about the hope that was in me? And, you know, I, I, I wonder if we, we are people who, who well, do we really live in the joy of this hope? The hope that we have in Christ is so incredible. It's, it's a hope to be with, with God, our Father. It's a hope to be, to be restored to, to really what we were created to be, to be in the presence of God. Eternal life. And it's a wonderful thing. And what we're going to see in our passage here is that Jesus calls us, he calls us to look upon this hope. And to have heaven as your destination and to look towards it as this is where I am going and this is where I will spend eternity and this is what I strive towards in my life. You know, you know hope is it's like, it's like the train tracks that keeps the Christian on the straight road towards glory. It's so essential to a Christian's life. So if we read then in Matthew chapter 24, and we're reading from verse 32 this morning and and we'll continue to the end of the chapter. So Matthew 24 and verse 32. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will not pass away, but my words, sorry, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Verse 36, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as we're in the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. 
Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day the Lord is coming. But know this, that if your master, if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is faithful and wise servant, whom his master set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find doing so when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour that he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now let's pray. Our God and our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the the reality that every single part of it we read is true. Lord, we thank you that it is is here for the very purpose of, of glorifying your name by instructing us on what we must be doing now. And we pray, Lord, that as we open it now, that you would speak to us through it, that that you would you would speak through me by your spirit and that Christ's name would be would be glorified. That through this passage Christ might be seen as the beautiful saviour which he is. And in his name we pray. Amen. Now really this this section of scripture um it's it's if you like the practical application of what we were looking at last week. I wasn't here last week, but uh, we went through the first part. I know you went through the first part of Matthew 24 and that speaks about well what's what's going to happen at the end. And Jesus is called out his disciples to the Mount of Olives. Um, and it, it seems to be quite an intimate thing. And, and he's saying to them, look, th- this is exactly what's going to happen um, at the end of the age. Now, as we get to verse 32, and really from, from that onwards, it's now this is how you're meant to live in the light of these things. In the light that Christ is coming, uh, in the light that there's going to be all these events taking place, I want you to live in this way. And as we look at verses um, 32 to 35, that first section there, it's actually quite a simple, a simple image, really. A lot of Jesus' um, parables uh, are quite simple to understand. Some of them can be difficult sometimes, but I would say this one um, is fairly clear. From the fig tree, learn its lessons. What Jesus is saying is that, you know, when you see that fig tree and you see um, it says they're becoming um, tender and putting out its leaves, that's when you know that summer is near. You know, when you, when you, see, a tree, when you see a tree blossoming in spring, you know that, it, well, it's not winter, summer is coming. And so when, when, when we see these signs, when we see these events which Jesus has spoken of um, in the last part of the passage, when you see the things um, coming towards the end of the age, know that Christ is coming. You know, he's saying when you, when you see these wars and when you see these, these rumours of wars and when you see, you know, you see all, these, all these terrible things which seem to be happening in the world, 
Know that these things have to take place so that Christ can come. You know how often we are just downhearted when we see these things and we think there's really, there's really no solution for the world and the world is always going to be um, in this terrible state. And I suppose that is partly true for, for this world has fallen, but the whole purpose of these things is that we are heading towards an end point, a point where Christ will return and there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. And that is a glorious hope for the Christian. And so really what Jesus is saying to his disciples here, he's saying, look, you need to be aware of these things. You know, the coming of Christ is imminent, but that doesn't mean we should be startled by it. You know, we should be ready every day that Christ could come today. You know, Christ could come in the next five minutes before 12 o'clock. There is no reason why he couldn't. The, the, whole, the whole meaning behind the word is, of imminent is that he is about to come. Because we don't know when Christ is coming, he is always, therefore, about to come. And so the Christian should be, should be eagerly looking towards the coming of Christ, aware of these things, and, and every morning knowing that today could be the day where their Saviour returns. It says there in verse 34, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Now this verse, um, is, there's a few different opinions on what this verse could mean. To me, from, from the study of it, I've, I've concluded that it would be Israel, this generation that they're speaking about. He's saying, truly I say to you, Israel as, as a nation, as a people, will not, will not end, pass away, end, until all these things take place. And is that not a wonderful sign of the end? As, as, the fig tree, as the fig tree bears its fruit, so too we've seen in the last 100 years Israel coming back into its homeland. And you see all the conflict in Israel and, 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 and the, the oppression of the Jews for, for so many years. But they've always been there. And now they're back in their land. And now I'm not about to stand here and, and, and list signs and say that definitely Christ is coming. I, I don't know to be perfectly frank, but what I can say is that there are, there seems to be signs that Christ is coming soon. And so Israel, getting back into its homeland, and, and Israel um, has, a, has a huge part in the end times unfolding. It has a huge part in Revelation. And so as the Christians, we look at these things um, and it's not our role, I believe, to, to, to speculate and say, well, Christ is coming at such and such a date. We, we don't know. But we need to look at these things and be aware that Christ could come now. But we also need to be aware that Christ could come in 100 years. And that's, they're both important to remember. And the Christian has to have both, I feel. But we also need to know that Christ could come today. Now, as we move into the next section, um, but no one knows... That day or an hour is what my Bible um, gives the heading of. So from verse 36, Christ is now moving on to the second question uh, that the disciples have asked. If you remember back in verse 3, the disciples asked two questions. The first one being, when will these things be? And the second one being, what will be the sign of your coming? 
Now, really, in, in, in the, in the, up to this point, Christ has answered the second question. But now he's going back to the first and he says, But concerning, this is verse 36, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. No one knows the day of Christ's return. Now, I wonder if you've ever asked yourself, well, why? Why did Jesus not tell us when he was going to come? Well, why did God not reveal to Jesus and then Jesus could have told his disciples, I'll come at such and such a time, so be ready for that. Well, I, I, I believe that it's, again, this whole idea of, of the imminence of Christ's return. For surely a life knowing that Christ could return at any point is a life which is going to be far more fruitful for God. You know, we, we, we live as Christians today in the reality that eh, this day could be what Christ comes. It could be this very hour which Christ returns. And so this spurs us on to living a life for the glory of God. And we'll come on to this later. But really, it's, it's, a, it's a theme which is seen throughout this, this, this section of Jesus' teaching. It's very much that Jesus has is, is got his main point of, you know, be ready for my coming, look towards it. And, and then all these, these parables and images kind of work around that to then really push the point in in the middle. So we're told no one knows the day or the hour. But that's a good thing. It is a good thing. And it should spur us on to be looking for the coming of Christ and to know that it could be today. And then it's an interesting passage um, from verses 37 um, about, about Noah. You know, it says there, For as we're in the days of Noah, <clears throat> so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Now I'm sure we all know the story of, of Noah. Uh, Mr. Noah built an ark. The people thought it was such a lark. Um, it's this man Noah, Genesis 6 and, and 7. You can read of it and... And he, he builds this ark as commanded by God, for God is, is regretting that he made the earth. It's a terrible state that, that, that humanity is in at this point, where they're in such sin that, that God actually regrets creating man. But again, out of God's grace, he makes this, this people, eight people, Noah and his family, to be who will carry on humanity. And he says, build this ark, and then you're going to go into this ark, and he's going to flood the earth, and that's what he did. But the significance that Jesus takes out of this here is that they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Now, none of these things are necessarily bad, are they? They're all just, they're, they're, they're life, really. And, and I think... I would be persuaded that the point that Jesus is trying to make, and he has made, is that that they they had no thought that God would judge the earth. 
The multitudes on earth at that time, they, they thought this is fantastic. You know, we can do this and this and this and we're, we're loving life and it's so wonderful. No way God's going to judge. They had no belief that there was actually a God who could possibly flood the earth. And so they didn't get on the ark. And, you know, I, I, I wonder, and, and it's a terrifying thought, but I wonder if there were those who would be scratching on the door of the ark, if it were. You know, when those, when those rains actually started, as Noah had told them about, and, and, when they, and when they saw even just an inch of water building on the ground, as the ground couldn't hold anymore, and as it started to rise and rise, I wonder if there was knocks on the door of the ark. People were crying to know, please open the door and let us in. Well, it was too late. God had given a time for salvation. He had given a time for repentance. But God is also God of justice, and so he has a time for judgment. These are serious things. And the picture of Noah's day is a picture for what will happen at the end of this age. There is coming a time where Christ will return. And, and after Christ returns, and, and after people are, are taken up to be judged, I'm sure there will be many people at that point who will try to repent and wishing that they repented. It's a terrifying thought. But the truth is that at that point it's too late. That what we do on our lives now, in the 70, 80, 90, 100 years that we have on earth, have a significance for eternity. And this decision, this, this seemingly small decision that we make now, whether we accept Christ as our saviour or just go out that door and carry on with our lives, could have impacts for where we are for eternity. That's why it's the most important thing which we could ever do. But I think there's an application for the, for the Christian as well here because, you know, you, you see these people and they're eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage and they got caught up in these things. They were content in these things. And, you know, Jesus is saying to his disciples, he's saying, you know, I want you to be looking for my coming. I want you to be, to be hoping for it. Don't just be settled on this earth. We are citizens of heaven. If we have trusted in Christ for salvation, we are citizens of heaven. This earth is not our home. We are just passing through. And so we must have that perspective amongst us. We must remember this and we must live knowing that really the time I have on earth should all be for eternity's sake. Now, I was reading a book when we were away, um, John Piper uh, don't waste your life. And I was really challenged by it, especially at this section. Oh, how many lives are wasted by people who believe that the Christian life means simply avoiding badness and providing for their family. So there is no adultery, no stealing, no killing, no fraud. Just lots of hard work during the day and lots of TV and PG-13 films in the evening. Lots of fun stuff at the weekends woven around church. You know, and I was challenged by that. 
Because if we actually grasped eternity, if we actually understood, understood this, the scale of this and the fact that, that our life now is, is just so short in comparison to eternity and, and everything I do now will have some sort of effect on eternity, why am I living the life I am now? You know, why am I, why am I choosing to, to watch TV rather than, rather than glorifying God in the way I should? Why in my spare time do I find it so difficult to come and spend an hour or, or more than that in prayer? You know, surely if we understood eternity, that would just be, be normal. You know, someone once said that they, they pray that God would print eternity on their very eyeballs. You know, and if we could live in this as a Christian, if we could live knowing that... that that we have eternity set before us with Christ and that this earth is so insignificant compared to that, how different would our lives be? You know, we must have our eyes fixed on this hope. We must be spurred on. We must long for it. Our very souls must, must desire at it so much so that our lives then just naturally accord to the will of God. You know, this, this hope is that we are... We are, made, um, we are made new and we are, we are with God. Really, that's, that's the ultimate hope of the Christian, that we are with God. Yes, we're in heaven, but is that not just to be with God? This is, this is what we hope in. For, for we were once with God as, as men, but, and then obviously Adam sinned, and now we are, we are separated from God, but we are restored to God um, judicially through Christ, but one day we will be physically and actually restored into the very presence of God. What a wonderful hope that is. What an amazing thing this is. And you know, it's times like this when we actually reflect on this that we think, why am I living the life I am? You know, why do I waste this time? Why, why, why do I not use this time on earth for the sake of eternity? And so how do we long for heaven? How do we make it our very, our very thrill of our soul, the, the drive of our life, that every day we might live and people might see us and ask us about the hope that's within us? I think it's quite simple, really, and it's, and it's a challenge to me as well. It's, it's, it's to pray and to read our Bibles. You know, it seems to always come back to this in Scripture. You have, you have these big callings, um, and, but yet it always just comes back to these simple things. <laughs> Meditate on heaven. Read about it. Pray to God about it. Meditate on the glory of what is set before you. Every morning, think about your salvation and what you have in Christ and what you have to look forward to. So that it might spur you on through the day to live a changed life in the perspective of this hope. For how often, as in the people in the days of Noah, do we become so self-centered and just looking at our own feet and, and the steps that we have right before us? You know, I was reminded this week, um, before Lily was born, so this was a good few years ago, we all went to Paris. And... We, we were walking along the park in front of the Eiffel Tower and I must have been about three and Jessica would have been about six. And, 
you know, mum and dad are saying, wow, wow, that's just, they're looking at the Eiffel Tower and saying, wow, this is, this is such a wonderful thing, isn't it? That's just amazing. It's so big. And, um, and then me and Jessica say, what are we looking at? <laughs> you know, we had no, we didn't even see it. It was right before us. The whole park was built so that you could see it, but we, we didn't even notice it. We were focused on the things that children are interested in. We were, I don't know, looking at the dog over there. We were looking at our, our jackets and, and trying to zip them up properly. But the point is that as Christians, may we not just be focused on, on these things of the world. For the value of them is, it's not worth competing to eternity. And we have heaven and, and glory depicted to us through Scripture. You know, the very glory of heaven is shown in Christ, on his person and, and who he is. The glory of God is shown in his word. And if we could only have our eyes open to see it, if we could only, if we could only look towards it and see the beauty of the hope that we have, then how different our lives would look. We need to be people who long for heaven. That our very characters are instilled with this fact that we don't care about the things of this life as other people do. We need to be people who, who see death as, as a passing through into glory and endless glory. And I say I speak to myself first before I speak to you. Now we're going to, I think, the next section from verses 40. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be, le- two, oops, sorry, two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming... He would have stayed awake and would not have left his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. He must be ready. Now, this, this passage, when it speaks about the two men will be in the field and, and the two women will be grinding at the mill... I would believe this to be at the end of the tribulation. So Christ will come to the sky to, to bring his, his church and then we will, we will be raptured up to be with him and then there'll be a period of time on earth uh, where, where there'll be a, a, a tribulation. There will be, will be um, severe affliction on earth that there's never been seen before. But then at the end of that, Christ will return to earth and he will judge. And it's at that point when Christ returns to the earth that is being spoken about here. The two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. After Christ returns and takes uh, those who haven't trusted in him, he will leave those, a faithful remnant, who will then go into this a thousand year reign of Christ on earth, and that will be glorious. 
So the one who's taken is taken to judgment. The one who's left is left to go into the millennium. Now, the point I feel, the point I think that Christ is making here is that, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be instant. In an instant. And, and, and just, you, you, you won't be ready for this. Because these people don't believe that it's coming and they will not be ready. They'll be grinding at the mill and then they'll be taken. You know, many people say, well, I'll I'll trust in Christ on my deathbed. And I'll I'll, I'll become a Christian at that point. Or even worse, I'll I'll, I'll be forgiven when when I get before God. Just because of, just because I think that's gonna what's gonna happen, and I'm gonna live the life I want to live now, but I'm not a particularly bad person. But I'm just gonna live the life I want to live now, and then at the very last second, in the last hour, I'll repent. You know, the Bible it speaks strongly about that and says that is a dangerous game. In fact, more than that, it, it's it's foolish and it's it's not ever going to work. We'll look at that more particularly in the last section. But, but you know, there will be many who will repent when it's too late. Like I said before, these people will be taken, and 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 there's coming a day, and 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 you know, you, I don't I don't know how you'll leave this earth, but. I know that if you're not a Christian, it is vitally important that you sort that out right now. You can't leave this. If you haven't put your faith and trust in Christ for your salvation, if you haven't believed that, that he is the only way which you can get to heaven, if you haven't repented of all your sin and admitted before, before the very God of heaven that you are a sinner, but then said that you want to accept the salvation offered in Christ, then this is something which needs to happen today. It's vitally important. Christ died so that you might be saved right now if you come to him. You know, the very reason Christ died, he, 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 he was God, became man, and he lived amongst men, and he lived a perfect life. Now, that perfect life was essential because it meant that he could be a worthy sacrifice. He was the one who had no sin in himself, so he could bear the sins of us. And in dying on the cross, when, when, when he, he hung on that, on that cross, and when he was was abused and mocked and scorned and when his very father in heaven forsook him that was for for your sin that was so that the the sins that you have committed might not be accounted to you but might be laid on Christ and and dealt with then and the glorious truth of the gospel is that all you have to do to inherit eternal life is trust in this. Repent from your sin and cling to the Saviour. Believe that he is the only way which you can inherit eternal life and accept him with open arms that you might be saved. 
You know, don't leave it. You know, don't, e- don't even go out these doors and think I'll do it when I get home. Because, you know, you saw the people of Noah and they ended up eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. Life's busy and the devil can use the busyness of life and draw you far from Christ. And that theme is continued in our our last section there from verse 45. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed, and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with the drunkards, the master of the servant will come on some day when he does not expect and at an hour when he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is quite a, a solemn section of the text. It's, it ends with a a very sombre message. But it's a parable again and it's it's speaking about the Christians in the church but then also a non-Christian. You know, everyone in, in a sense is, you know, everyone is accountable to God. Now, everything you have, whether you're a Christian or not, is given to you ultimately from God. The very breath that's in your lungs is of grace and is from God. And everyone who has been given these things will appear before God one day and they'll have to give an account of what they've done with it. Of whether they've been a faithful servant which you can only be through faith and trust in Christ, or whether they have just turned away from the one who gave them these things, like the prodigal son, and ran into that village and spent it all. It's it's, it's true that I believe that the the wise servant is, is a Christian and the household is the church. And you know, God has, has, has set this, this wise servant over his household, sorry, the master of the house has set him over his household so that he might give them their food at the proper time. And I think it's interesting that the, the one thing that Jesus uses here, you know, he could have, could have put in and spoken about a multitude of ways that we, we glorify God and we serve God, but the way he chose was by loving the church. And surely this is such an important part, such an important part of us glorifying God. But the point that's being made here is that that servant continued in the work. You know, that servant didn't know when his master was returning, but he knew that he was going to return. And so he carried again and again and he went on and on in service so that whenever his master returned, he'd be found serving his household. And he was blessed. 
Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. Now again, this is part of the hope that we have. As Christians, when you put your faith and trust in Christ, when you're redeemed through his blood, when you're made perfect and his righteousness is imputed to you, you are guaranteed a place in the millennial kingdom. But not just a place. You know, the Bible says we will be made kings and priests with God. We will be given responsibilities and we will be given rulings to, to, to govern over God's creation. You know, and you saw that, you saw that in, in the Garden of Eden and Adam was, was given to, to look after God's creation. But, you know, that's going to happen in, in, a, in, a, in an even more glorious sense with the church in that day. And this is a wonderful thing. But, verse 48, but, if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed. Now I think this is an interesting, uh, it's an interesting parable because it's not that the servant says, my master's never coming back. You know, and in some sense, this servant knows that, well, my master is going to return, but he thinks he has some amount of time. And because of that, he rests on that and he thinks, well, I'm just going to live how I want. And then, you know, when my master turns, then I'll sort out my act and he'll come back and I'll see him. I'll, I'll hear the, the door and I'll put on my tie and, I'll, and it'll all be fine. You know, it's the same, it's the same that we've been speaking about. You know, people who think that they'll, they'll, they'll turn to Christ on their deathbed. At the last moment, later on in life, I'll, I'll become a Christian. You know, it's when, it's this wicked servant, he would, he would, he, in some sense, he knows that his master is going to return. And, and, and these people, they, they, they know that God is real. And, and in their heart of hearts, they really know that they should be trusting in Christ. But they don't want to. They don't want to sacrifice their lives. They don't want to, to have to live a life like a Christian would live. They enjoy the, the things of life which they're doing and they don't want to sacrifice that for Christ. Yes, I'll accept the ticket at the end of my life, but I don't want to live like that. Well, Christ doesn't even say that that's risky. He says it's, it's not going to work. The master, verse 50, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. You know, these people who, 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 who know the truth of the gospel and have, who, have, who have been convicted by it and know that it's true but then still choose not to believe, Christ is going to come and, and they're not going to be ready for it. They're going to die and they won't be ready for it. You know, I, I don't know exactly how this is going to work. I can't say. But the truth is that for us, we need to repent today. And it's the same point that Jesus is making again and again. Because, well, the result for the wicked servant is, is horrific. Verse 51. And we'll cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You 
This is a warning that Christ gives to those who haven't put their faith and trust in Christ when they've heard the gospel. It's of vital importance that we make action on the things which God speaks to us about when, there and then, when we hear it. Because we don't know when we're going to die. We don't know when Christ is going to return. And so if you're not a Christian today, and I've said it over and over again, but once again I say, put your trust in Christ. This is the only way in which you can get to heaven. This is the only way in which you're ever going to escape judgment and have eternal life because he bore the judgment for you. Don't leave it. Don't put it off. And for the Christian, you know, let us live in the joy of such a hope. For how often we would sacrifice a joyful life, rejoicing in our Saviour, for, for just worldly things. You know, if we could live in the reality of Christ's kingdom and that we are going to be there one day. Lift our eyes, let us pray to the coming, to the coming of the King. Let us look to that, let us understand that our lives now do have an effect for eternity. And let us live lives for the glory of Christ. Because there's not a single day in heaven where we will regret what we did for Christ. In a positive sense. We, I think we will regret what we didn't do. But we're never going to regret the time we spend glorifying the name of Christ. This is our eternity. This is what's set before us. And may we be people of this hope. Let's pray. Our God and our Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for your word and how it has revealed to us something of eternity. Lord, we understand that Naturally, as, as creatures who are sinful, we deserve to be judged. And Father, it would have been perfectly good and proper if you had done that. And when we sinned, if you had sent us um, into, into that place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses, Lord, you made us alive together with Christ. And we thank you for this. And we thank you that although we are unworthy of heaven, that we are citizens of it nonetheless. And that we have a hope to spend eternity with you. Oh, cheer our hearts to rejoice in this hope. May every one of us here know this and rejoice in the hope that we have to spend eternity with you, O Lord, where there will be no more sin, where there will be no more crying, where there will be no more death, where there will only be glory and glory ever.
in Emmanuel land. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.